Dear Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis Productions. Dear Young Rocker, so you're still not doing any rocking. The years in which no rock occur are ongoing, but inside you remain a rocker through and through. And you've just found out the other key to yourself, that you're a writer, a storyteller. That might actually be what you are primarily, and music is just one of your favorite mediums to tell stories, even if sometimes those stories are told entirely with notes and chords. And speaking of stories, you're currently living one that you know you need to write the ending for. Remember how last time I said that sometimes people have a hard time adjusting to losing the thing that was controlling their lives? Like how you felt directionless after leaving Don Yoga? Well, sometimes people also won't leave certain situations or relationships that they really should leave because they're so afraid of that painful adjustment. They think they won't be able to be alone, even when they know they're supported. You're about to finally find yourself somewhat of your own support system. You could leave that one toxic attachment you still have. But it still feels truly impossible. You still don't know how to ask for or accept support, even when it's there. You have this idea that you have to do everything on your own for it to be legitimate. And what's more, you don't want your mom to be proven right that this boyfriend was bad news. Because to you, that would mean giving up your own ability to prove that you're capable of choosing who you want to date based on who you like and not who your mom likes. I agree, it is your choice and you shouldn't make decisions based on her. She isn't always right. But admitting this is a bad relationship wouldn't be defeat. It would be proving that you can, in fact, decide what's right and good for you. And someone who's addicted to gambling and shoplifting and doesn't believe anything bad can ever happen to him if he just meditates hard enough is not good to be around long term. Fun, crazy adventures aside, I promise You will find a way out soon. I'm waiting for my German class to start. I look at my phone for someone to text, but I remember I went over the limit for this month. Plus, I don't really have anyone to talk to anyway. I start picking at my neon yellow nail polish. Hey, I hear the girl sitting behind me. I've never talked to her, and since I am a friendless loner who has no idea how to be friends with another girl, I assume she must be saying it to someone else. Hey, she says it again. I turn around. Oh, hi. Maybe she wants to know what the homework is? But no, 
She tells me she thinks my nail polish is cool. She's never seen that color before. And then she wants to know what my major is and my name and then where I'm from and what dorm I live in. She's so energetic and smiling so much that it infects me, and I just kind of watch myself answering her questions and asking her things back. All that kind of polite getting-to-know-you stuff is usually impossible for me. I'm always just worrying about how dumb or weird I look so much that I can't think of anything to say. But here I am, talking to another girl. When the teacher finally comes in, I turn back around. While we're in a break to do some really easy fill-in-the-blank exercise, I see a tiny folded note land on my desk. It's that girl's number. She says, let's grab a coffee. Well, that's, um, nice. Guess I somehow passed the normal-looking-enough-girl test with my nail polish even though I still feel like a phony, weirdo tomboy on the inside. I wonder how quickly I'll screw up this friendship. I look around Chili's, and then down at the glass of Stella Artois that I ordered, while Melanie, my new friend, along with two more girlfriends of hers, Tanya and Ryan, are all talking about some politics class they're in. It still feels weird that I'm legally allowed to drink, even though I've been 21 for like six months now. Whenever I hand my ID to a server, I get so nervous because of how young I look that I end up getting all shaky, wondering they'll think it's a fake, even though it's not, and then I get even more worried that they'll notice how nervous I look and then they'll change their minds about serving me. So I always just smile at them really weird. I'm sitting here thinking about all of this, staring at my beer, because as usual, I feel like I can't get into the conversation. One person says something, I just bought six dresses on ModCloth. And I start to think of a way to respond to that. Mm, online shopping. But soon someone else turns it in a different direction. Oh my god, did you get that one you were showing me when we were eating that peanut butter? Oh, I can't stop eating peanut butter lately. And then the third person jumps in. Oh my god, my brother's new boyfriend is like a chef. and my brain gives up and spaces out. It's like I'm pretending I know how to hang out with a group of girls, even though I've barely ever done it. And I hope my social awkwardness isn't as painfully obvious to them as it feels to me. The four of us are going to live together in a suite next year, though, so I guess I am officially part of the group, or at least a fourth body to fill the dorm. Ryan is always laughing at everyone and is really sarcastic like me. She mostly wears dresses, but somehow it doesn't look dumb to me. I actually think her style is cool. Very indie girl, which you don't see much at this sweatpants-loving-bro-dude college. Everyone looks so annoyingly normal. I actually like Ryan so much that I can't think of anything to say to her. She has a big family, so she knows how to talk to people and make friends. 
and is probably weirded out by me, a creep who was raised alone and can't approach anyone unless they're holding a guitar. We start talking about all the funny stuff that happened on our spring break road trip. It sucks that even after that, I still can't totally relax and be myself around them. We drove down to Virginia Beach and back in my mom's SUV. Melanie and I split the driving, and I liked how she kept it at 90 most of the way home. It drives me nuts when girls are wimpy drivers. We all bought boxes of Krispy Kremes to take home, since we don't have them up here. And Ryan ended up sitting on my box unknowingly for most of the ride back. I still ate them all. They're just as good flat, it turns out. We also bought pet hermit crabs, and a bunch of them died, so we had a funeral in my mom's garden and buried them. The others start talking about boys, and I think about how on the trip, Melanie had asked me if I miss Aaron. I said I did, but I wasn't sure how true it was as I said it. Now that I actually have friends who aren't my boyfriend, it seems kind of preferable. I don't have to go to casinos or risk getting arrested to have fun with these people. Ryan and I even got tattoos together, too. Maybe I'm finally figuring out how to be a girl. Hey, what did you do over spring break? I ask John, the kid who sits next to me in Andre's class. I'm trying to be a normal person who asks people normal questions for once. Maybe now that I have some friends, I can make more. We're in creative writing. My second class with Andre Debuse. John and I are both his disciples from last semester's essay writing class. What did I do over spring break, Chelsea? He says. He looks at me with a raised eyebrow as if my question didn't make sense or I sounded dumb or it was funny. It reminds me of how the annoying boys in high school made me feel bad about myself for simply existing. But I think this guy is nice. He's just doing the guy thing they all have to do for whatever reason. I worked, he answers. Oh, okay. Am I supposed to feel bad? Maybe I'm being an asshole because not everyone goes on a trip. I take it you did something more fun, he asks. I tell him I went to Virginia Beach with my roommates, but that it still wasn't warm enough to swim and I got a tattoo there for $35. I roll up my right sleeve to show John, and he reads it aloud. Writing is something you do alone in a room. Oh, you gotta show debuse, he says. Yeah, I will at some point. It feels kind of weird. I don't want to feel embarrassed if it makes me look like I took that essay he gave me, like, too seriously. I really liked it, though. It was called The Talent of the Room. He had read some of it aloud in class and handed it to me when we all left. I really liked the message of it, that no matter how fancy you can make your sentences or how many amazing ideas you have, what matters is really sitting down every day by yourself and working at it. Even if you have to say no to hanging out with your friends or family, or stop doing the dishes. You have to work at it like a real job 
every day. The true talent is sitting still and sitting with the words, even when it's hard. I liked that more than anything I'd read about writing before. Andre said he hates the word talent because writing is about work. Me too. The idea isn't pretentious like so much stuff about writing is. I've developed a very strong aversion to sentences that are more floofy than they need to be. It always feels like they're covering up weak ideas, while some of the best ideas are written with the most unassuming or even silly-seeming sentences, like Vonnegut. He's my favorite. I look down at my tattoo and send it a silent message. If I don't listen to you, I'll make myself look really stupid when people see you and ask me if I'm a writer. Better help me, tattoo. I hear Andre's cowboy boots. He walks in and tells us we'll do an in-class exercise where we imagine ourselves sitting next to a character and we'll describe what we see. For some reason, I choose Aaron. It's supposed to be fictional, but he certainly is a character. I start scribbling fast right away. When I'm done, I read it back to myself and see the details I picked out. The cigarette smell of his shitty old car, the tangled mats in his black hair that have become dreadlocks because he never brushes it, his stubby thumb with the dirt under the nail as he passes me a joint that I'm not sure I even want, the mangled skin of the scar covering his eye that he got from dropping a lighter while smoking and driving, and hitting a pole while bending over to pick it up. How that skin reminds me of chewed up gum when I look at it. And the focused, intense, ravenous look he always gives me, like he wants to devour me. The look that creeped me out the first time I met him, but I eventually became addicted to. Addicted to being wanted like that 24-7. His khaki pants around his ankles in the car in the school parking lot, the Walmart parking lot, on a ski lift, in the middle of a dozen different hiking trails, public bathrooms, the sauna at a gym we snuck into, and all the other places he just couldn't resist me. Now that hungry look makes me feel trapped and even disgusted, like he's Gollum and I'm his precious. When I'm done with my piece, I know what I need to do for my writing career, for my social life, for me. I need to get out of this trap. My breathing feels tight for the rest of the class as I try to pay attention to everyone else reading their work. But I just keep looking down at my paper and rereading it over and over. After class is over, I decide I'll show Andre my tattoo another time, and I walk out and go to my room, thinking about how I need to start my short story very soon. We've written a bunch of stuff in class, which I'm always good at, and I can usually go home and revise it, but now we have to come up with a whole new story from scratch. I sit down at my desk and open a new document. The cursor blinks. 
and blinks and blinks. I imagine a dozen different made-up people and their worlds and the million different ways each of their stories could go. But every time I want to pick one, I think of a different one or a different outcome for them, which means I should probably start somewhere else. Eventually, thinking starts to make me uncomfortable. My breathing starts getting tighter and tighter. I try to breathe smoothly in and out, but on the transitions, it gets stuck in my throat and the out-breaths feel like they aren't going right. I decide that maybe handwriting will make me feel less pressure, and I'll be able to do that. So I pick up my notepad and pencil. Sometimes this works. This time, it doesn't. Same thing. I can't write a word. I thought once I had settled in with the Prozac, I'd be able to write. That's the only reason I decided to go on it. At first, it made all my ideas seem so great, and I felt less sad about not writing, but I still just couldn't get myself to sit still to get the ideas down. So I figured I'd give it a couple more weeks and see if my body would adjust and let me. But it's been nearly three months now, and all it's done is made me feel less bad. I don't feel depressed or hate myself as much when I don't write. I don't feel much actually ever. Emotionally or even physically, I'm kind of numb. But my anxiety hasn't gone anywhere. I start to think more and more about my anxiety. What can I do to make it go away? What can I do to just write? Maybe I just don't have the talent of the room. Or maybe I just need to go for a walk and think out my idea. I had that one of an opening scene of a person in pitch black, but you don't know why or where they're going. Either a dog sledder out on the tundra in winter or a person walking through a deep cave. Thinking about actually writing my ideas while sitting down is making my whole body tense. All right, yeah, I'll get up and go for a walk, and more ideas will come to me. It's okay if these ones disappear. Ideas aren't as precious as I thought they were. If you're creative, they'll just keep coming. That's one idea Andre got into me. I stand up and sigh. (sighs) I'm in the library, sitting in front of a school computer. For some reason, I thought I'd be able to write here to get a full short story done all at once, since it doesn't have my Facebook and stuff automatically logged in. But all I've done for the past 30 minutes is stare at the cursor on a blank document again and occasionally type and then untype one sentence. Four weeks have gone by since we got back from spring break. I have nothing to turn into Andre. I haven't finished a single story this whole semester. I haven't even started a story. I'm not playing music with anyone, nor have I attempted to even find someone to play with. I haven't dumped Aaron either because I don't know how. I tried to in person once and then over the phone two more times, but he always just calls me a million times 
and makes sure to see me more often and buy me more presents and says he'll make it work and says how good we are for each other. I click over to the UMass Lowell academic calendar and see that the last day to withdraw from classes without a penalty is today. As I hit the unenroll button on Andre's Creative Writing 1 class, the most important class to me in the whole world, the key to starting my career as a writer, the thing I've realized I am destined to be, I have the same thought I had when I left the music major. Maybe I can still do it outside of school. It doesn't mean anything. But again, it feels like I'm abandoning what's most important to me. Why does what I love the most always just cause me pain and feel impossible? Am I just not a writer or a musician? What the hell am I then? Why does my brain feel so backwards? Wasn't Prozac supposed to fix it? I look down at my tattoo. I watch the letters morph from writing is something you do alone in a room into lying is something you do alone in a room. I click withdraw. I stare at the W that pops up next to the class name. I've withdrawn. I am withdrawn. I withdrew myself from music, the one thing I thought I loved more than anything. And now I've withdrawn from writing, the new thing I thought I loved more than anything. I think about all the other things I quit as a kid. Karate, horseback riding lessons, gymnastics classes, cello lessons. I flash back to the first book I tried to write when I was six. It was called The Little Whale. I stapled together folded in half computer paper and drew the title and a picture on the front, but I could just never get past the first sentence. It always felt not good enough or wrong. So I threw the whole thing away and made another whole book and started over, but I couldn't get the second try right either, or the third or the fourth. So I never finished the book. Then I think about the second book I tried to write in third grade. Same thing. It sounded so great in my mind. The Norwegian alphabet is what I wanted to call it. I was going to have one Norwegian word with each letter and use the internet to figure it out. But again, I just didn't get past page one. Too many big ideas and never able to make one into a reality as good as my imagination. I have a split-second thought to talk about this with my new friends, but I immediately push it away. No, I won't talk to them if I feel bad. I finally have friends. I don't want to sound crazy and depressed and scare them away. I only want to have fun with them, and none of what I'm thinking about lately is fun. Plus, how the heck could they help? They can't make me right. I'll wait until I feel better to talk to them. If they ask how I'm doing, I'll just make some dumb jokes and say bitchy things about Aaron. As I'm folding up Aaron's pullover, I notice how many holes and stains it has. He wore it almost every day for the nearly two full years that we dated. 
Why did I never notice how gross this is? How gross he is? How did I stay with him for so long? I put the pullover in the box and put his book on top of it. Then I put in the goodbye letter and tape it closed. I finally figured out how to dump him and avoid his pleas for me to take him back. When I tried it in person, he just grabbed me and looked in my eyes and said how good we are for each other and all this stuff. Sometimes I think he picked up on the techniques of the Don teachers because he makes me feel hypnotized when he convinces me to take him back. Like I go in feeling one way, and somehow he completely changes my thoughts, and I give in. I successfully broke up with him one time, and only for a couple weeks, before he somehow got me back again. He's a sociopath, my mom says. She's standing over me while I tape up the box. She approves of this plan, of course. Now that I've decided to get rid of Aaron for good, she's talking to me a lot more. It didn't feel good to feel distant from her, but at the time, it made me cling to him further. She stopped calling me while I was at school because every time I picked up, I was with him, usually Sunday mornings still in bed. And then every time I did come home, she'd be crying in the driveway when I left her like I was leaving forever. All that made me more dependent on him and more determined she was overreacting. But I couldn't deal with that any longer. I've realized I wouldn't have gone to that yoga class or stayed at that place so long if it wasn't for him egging me on and going with me. Even a couple weeks ago, he suggested we go back. Yeah, right. I can't think of that place without feeling paranoid and terrified, like actually shaking. He knows that. I'm still worried that I'm going to be in the grocery store and Elizabeth is going to sneak up and capture me. I'm still too scared to even go to a regular yoga class. That gross feeling of being under someone else's control that that whole experience gave me, it's transferred to Aaron. Now's the right time to do this, right before I leave for the island, so that he can't even come show up and try to win me back and make me feel that awful feeling of someone trying to snatch me again. I don't want any part of my mind or body under someone else's control for one more minute of my life. By the time he gets the box, there's going to be some ocean between us, and he won't even know it. I'll be in my favorite place in the world, a place I've always felt closer to than any other person on Earth. I can be myself there. I can breathe when I'm there. I won't need a boyfriend. Hopefully he won't come try to find me. I slam the box on the ground. I take stock of the interior of my tiny two-door car. 
I can't believe I managed to fit the record player in here after both my bicycle and my base. I step out into the ferry's cargo bay and lock my car door, but it feels pretty pointless since someone could just unzip the soft op and take whatever they want. The ferry is still exciting to me. This is my first time taking a car over all by myself. I get a little buzz as I climb the stairs to the deck and think to myself, I'm really running away to an island. It feels like the most me thing I've ever done. When I was a kid, I always wanted to go away to month-long sleepaway summer camps, and my parents never understood why. They weren't trying to get rid of me like other parents. I just wanted to go far away. I guess I'm just not as tied to my home as much as other people. I feel more at home traveling. Actually, if I have a home in my heart, it's the place I'm going right now. I got the idea to live on Martha's Vineyard for the summer when I was looking for jobs. On Craigslist, you can search different parts of Massachusetts, and after seeing nothing interesting on the Lowell or Worcester pages, I decided to click on Cape Cod and Islands for the heck of it. As I scrolled through, I thought about how hardly anyone ever uses the vineyard houses anymore. Maybe for a few days here and there, but they're just sitting there. I could really live there if I find a job, and it would be helpful because I'd be making sure nothing's broken in the houses and keep an eye on them. I could live literally on the ocean the entire summer, on the most beautiful private beach I've ever seen, and probably for free too. It will heal me, I thought. I still felt so tight and scared from Dawn and from trying to get away from Aaron. Just me and the ocean and the sand and the gulls and the sun setting directly over the water in front of the house. What could be more healing than that? Screw you, Prozac. I didn't refill my prescription the last time I got to the bottom of the pill bottle. I'm still feeling good now a week off of that junk. Maybe I don't need it, like my mom said. She says, I'm just a little screwed up after the cult thing and needed to get my head right. I'm at the top deck, and I look out over the water in Woods Hole, getting smaller and smaller. I wave goodbye to my regular life, my college life. I go around the side of the boat to the front deck, and look the other way toward the island. I can pinpoint where the house is by the water tower. It's still too far to make out the beach though. A gull swoops down and squawks in my ear and I tell him, hey buddy, I don't have any food. I try to imagine what my life will be like this summer. I can't, but I don't really mind that. Dear Young Rocker, I know it really feels like you wasted your college time with a loser boyfriend and in a cult, but it wasn't a waste. You'll have more insight and intuition for bad situations and toxic people when you're older than people who haven't been through those things. They will be more vulnerable to being taken advantage of later in life. 
you'll see these other people fall into the trap of dating or hanging out with the wrong people over and over and want to tell them how stupid they are because you'll see the signs immediately. You'll know how to sense that hunger in people who want to take control of other people and get so frustrated that your friends can't see it and will usually mistake it for intense, passionate love. Control and obsession are actually the opposite of love because true love is freedom. But some people can't seem to tell the difference. You won't waste too much time on these things when you're older and you'll focus on getting your own stuff done because of it. Writing is hard. Everyone will tell you that when you tell them you write. It's not just you, and you know that from the books you have on the subject. But I will say, it is indeed harder for you than others. I know the pain of that point you inevitably hit, where you realize what's on the page doesn't match the incredible ideas you have in your head, and you don't know why. That's the feeling you're avoiding by putting off writing. The feeling you aren't as good of a writer as you dream about being. It all comes down to insecurity like always. But here's the trick that still works for me. When you sit down to write, don't ever ask anything more of yourself than one sentence. And really mean it. Once again, here I am giving my current self-advice. Because when I sat down at this current writing session... I almost cried with how anxious I felt. My stomach started hurting. My heart started beating. I started imagining what will happen if I never finish this episode. And I was tempted to get up and look at inspirational writing books or journal about my feelings or go for a walk to calm myself down first. But the problem is none of those things are writing. So I said, okay, Chelsea, just write one sentence about writing, about how hard it is. And I did. And then I wrote more. So much more that I had to cut out pages of the script. I know how impossible one sentence can feel, and I know you will be tortured for many more years by this, potentially forever. The fact is, your anxiety is going to pretty much always be there, So you have to just do stuff anyway. You can't wait till it's gone and then go do whatever you want to do. Be scared. Feel like it's all wrong and do it anyway. Now, on to the requisite social skills advice section. People will like you or not like you for you and not what image you present about yourself. Good people at least. Hiding yourself away from your friends because you're struggling with something won't make your friendships better. You would help your friends if they were struggling and they want to do the same for you. I know you're fully committed to solving all of your problems by yourself, a lesson you absorbed from your parents. But when you're really friends with someone, you can trust they won't disappear if you're bummed out sometimes. It's not codependency or weakness. It's part of friendship. I know after the things you've been through, though, that trusting is hard. 
I'm glad you've made some girlfriends. Believe it or not, you don't look like a freak to them. You look pretty cool and cute, too. People probably assume you have plenty of friends. As your new friend will later tell you, she thought you looked like someone she'd want to be friends with. A cool girl, as she says. Who knows how many other girls might think that, too. Girls who just happen to be shy like you. Hmm. Well, I'm excited for your next adventure. Enjoy it, and bon voyage, dear young rocker. Next time on Dear Young Rocker, young Chelsea has an unforgettable summer on the island. Well, except for that one part she can't totally remember. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. The show was written and created by me, Chelsea Arson. I also wrote the theme song, I record and edit the episodes, and I create many of the musical pieces and sound effects you hear in the show. The other half of our two-person production team is Colin Fleming, who provides more sound design and music and also mixes the episodes. I would also love if you would join me on Instagram at Dear Young Rocker and follow Double Elvis too. I also have Facebook and Twitter, and I just really love hearing stories and seeing pictures of your own awkward young rocker beginnings. So please dig up an old picture and tag me, and I will definitely reshare it. And please, please share this story with anyone, anyone who has a young rocker in their life who you think could be touched by this because that's the whole point and write a review on apple podcasts if you like the show because that goes far toward the goal of helping kids feel less alone too thank you dear young rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and double elvis productions For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.